Good morning, church. Um, I'll be reading from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteousness, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you, would not believe, that you would not believe it if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer, you who are purer than, the, than the eyes, sorry, you who are purer eyes than to see and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the more righteous than he? You make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up from a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer and concern my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end and will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now, help us to quieten our hearts. Help us to be prepared to, to be changed. Help us to be expectant that the Holy Spirit would work. Lord, speak through your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever questioned God? Have you ever questioned God? I'm willing to take a bet that actually the majority, if not every single person in this room, at some point has questioned God. 
Maybe, maybe you haven't got the job that you wanted or the job that you have got is terrible. Maybe you've not got that relationship that you wanted or the relationship that you got is terrible. Maybe you question God if you're a child here this morning, why school is hard or why people would ever think of bullying you. Maybe some of you have questioned God on the even more extreme things in life. Why the miscarriage? Why the death of the one that you love? Why the dementia? Why the cancer? Why the divorce or the adultery or the abuse? Why the confusion about your gender or sexuality? Why the struggle with sin? Why? 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 Well, one of the biggest questions that people have about Christianity particularly is how God can allow certain things. How, how, can, a, how can a good and perfect and pure God allow for certain things to happen in his world? And actually, interestingly, the Bible even speaks in those terms, doesn't it? We see throughout Scripture examples of people questioning God. Job, in his suffering calls out to God again and again and again. He throws question after question after question. David questions in the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible speaks in these terms. These people that are asking God's questions. And as we turn to our series in Habakkuk, as we kind of take a short break from Matthew, we find a book that's in many ways based around a conversation. It's based around a conversation between Habakkuk and between God. A book where we see Habakkuk questioning God and God answering. And the whole of the book works through this, this kind of balance, this, this kind of journey of Habakkuk asking questions and God responding. Habakkuk asking questions and God responding and so on and so on. And I think for us this morning it's important, right, for us to look at this book. Why should, why should you listen to this sermon? Why should you listen to this book of Habakkuk? Why, why in a sense, are we even breaking to, to do this short series? Well, actually, we've all been, as we've said already, in that position, right? Where we've questioned God. We've all looked at the word out, world out there and, and, and wondered exactly what is going on and why God is allowing certain things to happen. We need to know what it means to question God. But we, even more importantly... We need to know how he responds to us in those questions. Because either right now as you're sitting here, you're questioning God. You might even physically be doing it at this point in your mind, asking him questions as, as to why he allows certain things to happen. But I can guarantee that even if you're not doing it now, that you will be doing it in the future. And that's why it's so important for us to turn to this fantastic, fantastic book. And in many ways, as I said, Habakkuk works in this kind of format of Habakkuk asking a question and then God responding, and then Habakkuk responding, and then God responding. And we're going to see that just from our first section today as we look at this passage, this conversation between Habakkuk and between God. And the first thing we see in verses 1 to 4 is Habakkuk's complaint. Look down with me at those verses or look it up at the screen. Because completely from the um, original first sentence, we see something really, really important. It gives us a real insight into what is going on. Now, the ESV uses the word oracle. The NIV uses the word prophecy. But I think the Hebrew, in some senses, seems to capture something a little bit more than, than our English translations. 
And some English translations have even captured this quite well. By the word burden. This word, burden, the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. This word is a mixture of, of an oracle and a prophecy, but it, it is a burden that Habakkuk has. It's a burden that he sees as he looks out on the world. You see, Habakkuk sees the injustice and he sees the evil of this world and it is a burden to him. The writer John Bunyan spoke about this idea of a, of a burden in his book Pilgrim's Progress. One, one of the characters called Christian has this great burden tied to his back that he simply just can't remove. No matter what he does, whether he tries to be good or whether he tries to drown it out by trying to go and be bad, he can't get rid of this burden. And it weighs him down. It is a strain on his back. It is something that he cannot get rid of. It is a constant pain to him, a constant suffering to him, something that he's constantly aware of. He eventually is he's dragged down in the bog of despair by it because it holds him and it, it digs into his shoulders. This great burden. At one point he says this, Why, sir, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than are all these things which you have mentioned. I care not what I meet on the way. I just want deliverance from my burden. You see, Habakkuk has this burden. We don't actually know too much about Habakkuk. The, the book doesn't really describe him. This isn't some kind of character profile on him. He doesn't write to give us a little background or a little bio. Because actually what he's doing here is he wants to speak about what he sees. He wants to speak about this burden. You see, he looks at the world and it seems that evil's going on and, and God's doing nothing. It seems that as he looks at the nations around him that they are prospering even though they're evil. And he wonders, how on earth could God allow this? Why would he allow the nations to be so blessed when actually they're not living for him at all? And actually, not only does Habakkuk look to the world out there and see what's going on, but he actually looks inside. He looks inside, so to speak figuratively, inside the church. He looks at God's people. And as he looks around him, and as he sees God's people, that question remains. You see, he's living in Israel's southern kingdom, and, and we don't know exactly when he lived, but we know that during the time that he was living, God's people weren't living for God. They weren't living as they should have done. We read of, of one of the kings that Habakkuk may well have lived under in 2 Kings, verse 21. Let me read this and, and think about being Habakkuk and looking around not only to see the world prospering because they're doing evil, but looking around you at God's people and seeing this. This king, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nation, the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as, Abel, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In two courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, saw omens, and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And so Habakkuk has this burden, and he asks, 1 verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you not hear? 
or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. See, Habakkuk looks at the world out there and he sees evil prospering and he asks God why, but he also looks closer to home and he looks around him and he sees the same things and again he asks why. Do you have a burden like Habakkuk? Do you have a burden like Habakkuk? Do you look at the world out there and wonder why it seems that people prosper even though there's evil? Scam artists take money from people and live in luxury. We see people in government living immoral lives, and yet still seemingly they have all the things that the world promises them. But not only that, we also look inside the church, right? And we see even inside the church sometimes that people live lives that aren't holy, and yet they seem to prosper. You see church leaders who actually are many, in many ways being abusive, and sometimes preaching false teaching, and yet they're making extraordinary amounts of money, and they're having success, and they're having fame. And we feel that burden. And we turn to God and we ask, why? Well, the great thing about the Bible is that it shows us that we can question God. Like I said earlier, the book of Habakkuk is just one of many examples of God's people turning to him and asking him questions. Our psalm at the beginning showed us Asaph's confusion on how the wicked seem to prosper. But throughout scripture we see it. Psalm 6 verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalm 89, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Revelation 6, the martyrs, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? The Bible shows people asking God how long. And I think as an immediate kind of application point, we we see that we can question God. But I think the way that we question God is important. See, we must remember that we are not God. That we don't know his sovereign plans. That we are small and he is mighty. That we are limited and he is limitless. That we are finite and he is infinite. That we live in a world that he created. And he knows the entirety of human history and yet we don't even know what's going to happen by the end of today. He knows what has been, what is, and what is to come. So as we question, we question with a humble posture. It's just come into my head as I'm speaking, and unfortunately I won't be able to to give the exact quote, but many of you would have heard the quote from Stephen Fry, right? Stephen Fry who turns around and says, actually, if I ever met God, I'd have some real questions for him. But the way that Stephen Fry seeks to question God is that he accuses him and puts him on the stand and speaks down to him. And he basically says, how dare you? Well, as Christians, we're not to approach God like that. There is to be some some kind of reverence because he is a holy God. But also, at the same time as being a holy God, he is not a far-off, distant God. Instead, he is a God 
whom we can speak to. And it should be a comfort to us, right? It should be a comfort in when you have the cancer diagnosis or when that friendship uh, in some way has broken down or when things are going hard, that you don't just have a far-off God who you're scared of, but you have a God that you can approach and you can speak to. Of course we must be careful how we do this. We have the gift of prayer and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can cry out to God. And I think also, as an application point, we should be uncomfortable when we see evil. We have to be so careful that actually evil and sin don't just become normal to us. Actually, as we look at God's word and as we grow and as the Spirit works in us, we should be more repulsed by sin. Actually, in many senses, our cries of how long should get louder. As we become Christians for the first time, we we look at the world and we see it and we say, how long, Lord? And then we grow and we become a Christian for years and we say, how long, Lord? And some of our older saints who are so encouraging to us and who've gone through the fire of trial and temptation are on their knees praying and they're saying, how long, Lord? Because they get it more than us. And that is why they should be examples to us. And that is why we should seek to keep growing and that we should seek as a church to be coming together and saying how long, Lord, and growing as that cry becomes louder and louder as we see how bad evil is, that we cry how long. We should never be content with sin, neither out there or in here. But the wonder of this book, because we could stop there, right? But the wonder of this book is that God answers Verses 5 to 11, God answers. This should immediately cause us delight, right? We have a God who communicates with us. He's not a God who's far off and distant. He has one who is always there to hear our prayers. He's not one who you have to, in some way, try and clean yourself up or do something special or pray for 15 minutes or read a whole book of the Bible, or do some kind of serving in some way to approach him. No, he's not far off and distant. In fact, we can go and we can approach him. And we have a God who answers. And in many ways, his response starts so well, right? Look down at verse 5. The Lord answers, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that, if you, that you would not believe if told. You see, it's what we expect, right, from our majestic God, telling us to, to look out and, and to witness, to not be overcome, but to be encouraged that he's at work. He's not idle. He's not asleep. He's not lazy, but he is at work. What a comfort. What an encouragement. We wouldn't even believe what God was doing, even if he told us. But... But we do have a problem. Because actually, very quickly, this turns very confusing. Because we see that God is going to use an evil nation to bring justice. Look at verse 6. For behold, I am raising, raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. That's another way of saying the Babylonians. And actually, if we're not surprised about this, then we really should be. If we're not surprised about this, then we really should be. Why on earth would God use evil? Look at the description. It it makes it even worse. Because we see that God is raising up this nation. 
This nation that sees place, seizes places that aren't theirs, that brings fear, that are scary and vicious. They only want violence. They mock justice and what is right. And yet God is raising them up. And just like Habakkuk, we see that in our world today, right? If God is in complete control, if God is the one that allows all things to happen, then why on earth has he allowed empires and nations to rise up through history? The Egyptians, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Germans, the Russians, ISIS, North Korea. If God is in complete control, then why does he let these powers rise up? Because they bring destruction and grief and sin. And as another application point, that should make us question. We should question why God allows this to happen. Because actually there's two options, aren't there? Option one is that God is allowing this to happen. And we shouldn't like the idea of that. Option two, the alternative, is that he's not in control. And he's there and he's like, oh gosh, Putin's getting even more powerful. Um... I can't really stop him. How, how do I stop him? Or, oh, this scam artist, I can see him walking to the house of that old lady about to scam her, but I, I, can't, I, can't quite stop, I can't quite stop them. That's the alternative, and that alternative is even more scary. But we should look at a God who is in complete control and has ordained all things in history and ask, well, why does it seem that you allow evil to rise up? We should be asking these questions, not just giving Christian cliches or just accepting. We should be trying to understand our world and we should be looking at God's word to give us the answers. Because our confusion is also shared by Habakkuk. We turn to Habakkuk's confusion, point three. See that from verses 12 to the start of, of chapter two. You see, Habakkuk doesn't understand what's going on and why God would work in this way. It seems as though God is just watching as evil takes place. Kind of just sitting down on the TV, flicking through the news, watching as all of this has happened. But if God is a good and a holy God, then how on earth can he just flick through the news channels, seeing evil rise up? How on earth can actually he even be allowing these evil powers to rise up? Verse 15 speaks about the wicked. The he that's, that it's speaking about is talking about the evil he brings all of them up with a hook. The evil people drag people out with their nets. They gather them in their dragnet and they rejoice and they're glad. Evil people oppress those that are weaker than them and they cause them suffering and yet they seem to prosper. Don't we see that in our world? Russia plucking out the lives of Ukrainians as they seek to destroy them. Scam artists trying to pluck out innocent victims and take their money and violate them. Abusers abusing people. And all those who are evil in some way, they, they worship their evil ways, right? Just as, as we have this wonderful picture that Habakkuk gives us of, of people kind of evil taking their nets and plucking people out of their nets. The very nets that they use, the very evil methods that they use are the very things that they worship and praise and give power to. And Habakkuk says, as we read in verse 17, how long? How long will this continue? He's, he's confused by the fact that God seems, this, he seems to allow this to happen. But look back to verse 12. 
Because Habakkuk understands something of God's plan in all of this. Verse 12, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You see, Habakkuk understands that God is raising up the Babylonians to be a judgment against his people. God's people have turned from him. Do you remember I read about that king? That king that sacrificed his own son in the fire? God's people have turned away from him, and he is going to use this evil, he's going to use the Babylonians to remind them that he is on the throne. In many ways, he is going to discipline them. Now, this isn't some bloodthirsty revenge or God just trying to be kind of capricious. Actually, no. Just as a parent disciplines their child in order to get them to see the wrong that they have done, God is disciplining his people. He's crying out to them, turn back to me. He's calling to them because they've turned from him. And in so many ways, this seems strange, right? Why would a good and holy God use evil to achieve his purposes? How could a good God be prepared to use evil to achieve his means? Well, that doesn't mean that the evil is right. In fact, next week, we're going to see that that evil will one day be punished by God. But Habakkuk waits for an answer. You see, he's had the privilege from hearing from God, and now he waits in eager expectation on the watch post to see what God has to say. He started to understand a little bit about what's going on, about this idea that, that God would raise up these evil people to discipline and to turn his people back to him. But he's still got questions. He's still grappling with what is going on. And he goes to the watch post, he looks out, and he waits to see how God will answer. Our fourth and final point is that God does answer and that the righteous will live by faith. You see, again, God answers. Isn't that brilliant again? It isn't that, that God just answers once and then he's like, well, I've already told you, go away. <laughs> no, he answers again. And the beauty of the fact that he answers is that we can see what he says, can't we? Because imagine this was just a conversation that happened between Habakkuk and God. Well, we wouldn't be able to, to have this sermon this morning. But look at verse 2 of chapter 2. God tells Habakkuk to write this down, to record this, so that actually we will be able to see it. Because just as I've tried to um, hopefully show you, the world that we live in is similar to the world that Habakkuk lived in. And so we need these words. And it's amazing, isn't it, that God both answered Habakkuk, but he, he gives these answers to us. He's communicated in his word so that we can read it. And Habakkuk's told that these things are going to be revealed in the future. See, Habakkuk is wondering why God is going to judge his people with a nation that are more evil than they are. Habakkuk is wondering why God is going to judge his people with a nation that are more evil than they are. And as I said, next week it's going to become clear that this evil nation, the Babylonians, they aren't going to escape God's judgment. But you'll just have to come back next week to hear more about that. But God also tells Habakkuk how he should respond. Verse 4. Behold his, the wicked, their soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. See, Habakkuk is to have faith in God while he waits to see how God will reveal his plan. You see, God is clear. Those who do not live for him, they cannot stand. They are not upright. One day they will be judged by him. 
That's another plug for next week. But for those who trust in God and have faith in him, they will live. And they will also see God's perfect plan come to fruition. You see, eventually the Babylonians came and they took God's people into captivity. You see, God used the Babylonians to judge his people and to remind them that they needed to follow God and God alone. But eventually God would bring his people back and punish the Babylonians for their sin. You see, at the time, it would have seemed confusing to wonder why God was letting Babylon defeat his people. And that is why there is this call for faith. To have faith and eventually see God's plan. You see, for Habakkuk, he's called to look forward in faith. But for us, we're called to look backwards for the source of our faith. You see, as I said at the start, we can question God, can't we, like Habakkuk did? We can look at the world out there and and wonder why God allows wicked and evil to prosper. We can look inside at the church and, and seem confused about what is going on. And throughout the Bible, we see times when people question God. And there was a time when someone questioned God. When they screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, he called out to God. You see, we saw earlier that it it seems strange and uncomfortable to think that God could use evil to achieve his means. We might not like it. It might feel offensive to us. It might seem confusing to us. But in many ways, we see that most clearly on the cross, don't we? We see God use the cross, the very picture of evil, the evil of mankind, And on the cross, Jesus faced the evil of the world and he took on the sins of his people. He defeated evil and death. And see, if we have faith in Jesus' death on the cross, it means that we can be right with God. We're called to faith. You see, Habakkuk looked forward in faith to God's deliverance and God's promise of what he would achieve and was called to trust him. We look back to Christ on the cross and we see that even through evil, God used evil to achieve his purpose. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, he was achieving for us a great salvation. One that we can have perfect faith in. And one that allows us to actually live in this world at strange times. Verse 3 reads this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You see... We look back to what happened on the cross and we see that God is so powerful that he can use evil to achieve his means. And he did that most greatly through the death of Jesus Christ. But God's not responsible for evil. He does not sin himself. Humans are responsible for their own sin. And yet God is so powerful and so mighty and so in control that he can and he does use evil for his own purpose. And it may make us feel uncomfortable. We may read books like Habakkuk and think, oh... It's an Old Testament passage that I don't really like and I prefer to avoid it because it speaks about things that aren't very palatable. But actually, if we don't have a God who is able to use evil and is able to overcome things that are evil, then in a sense we can't have the cross. Our God is so powerful and so mighty that he is able not to sin in himself but able to use evil for his good and perfect ways. Because actually the alternative is that we have a God who watches evil happen and doesn't have any control of it and actually just idly watches it by. But yet we have a God who through evil can save his people. 
And I think that means that we can both look back to the cross, but we're called to have faith when we look forward. Because it's hard, right, isn't it? Even after we look back to the cross and see God using evil, sometimes still we, we get stuck in our ways and we wonder, how on, earth, how on earth, God, could you be working now? Well, just as we are to have faith, we are to have faith in looking to the future. Because one day we will see God. One day we will be united with him. One day we'll be united with Jesus and we'll see the nails in his hands. And at that point, all the confusion that we have about the world outside, all the confusion we have about the questions as we look inside and see the church not being perfect, all of that will be answered because we'll see God's good and perfect plan. And we'll see that he was working throughout history. And we'll see that actually, although we, weren't, we didn't quite have the answers at the time, he was achieving something great. That he ultimately achieved through Jesus, but that he will continue so for us who are God's people, I think there are two ways that we apply this. I think that we can question. I think that we are to look at the world. We see the way the Bible models what it looks like to speak to God. We don't approach God in a kind of confident way, an overconfident way, that seeks to, to kind of lord it over him and to make accusations at him. And instead we come humbly to him and we say, how long, Lord? We ask him why he seems to let evil happen. And we pray to him that he would work against evil. But we have a God that we can question, that we can come to in prayer. Isn't that such a comfort? Isn't that such a comfort? And so many of you, as I look out, have, have spent years doing this. will continue to do it. But also we are called to live by faith. Because as much as we can question God, we're told to have faith in him. We're told to trust him and his plan. Because even when it seems that evil is prevailing, God is working behind the scenes. And if that makes us feel uncomfortable, if that makes us feel confused, well, good, let's keep grappling with these things and looking at our Bibles and praying and speaking to other Christians. But let's remember, above all else, that actually on the cross, we see most clearly how even though there is evil, and even though people turn against people in this world, God used that to achieve our salvation through Jesus Christ. And if he can do that, then we can have faith in him. Then we can put our trust in him. And finally, if you're not a Christian, well then what side are you on? Verse 4, behold, the wicked soul is puffed up. It is not upright within them, but the righteous shall live by faith. There's two sides here. There's a side of those who are puffed up who actually might seem to be getting all the good things that this life has to offer. But actually for them, especially as we'll see next week, judgment is coming. And that judgment will be terrible. It will be a woe that will be pronounced on those people who do not look to God. And yet, for those that are righteous, they shall live by faith. That's the prayer that we had, right? The prayer that we have for Jeremiah is that he won't live for himself, but that he will come to know the Lord. That is why his parents wanted to dedicate him. That is why his friends and family stood up. That is why we as a church stood up, because we long that he and all of the young people in this church and the people in Stockwell that are walking past now or going past on the bus or who are sitting in their houses or who are down by the tube station, that they will come to Christ. That is why we're going out to evangelise later, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, yes. 
because we long that people would come to know God. Because the world seems confusing, doesn't it? Evil does seem to prosper. And yet we see very clearly here that the righteous shall live by faith. And we pray that if you are not living by faith this morning, that you would come to know God and that you would come to have faith in him. I had the privilege this week of of spending a week with um, many young people on a Christian youth camp. And some of the things that we were looking at were, were looking at the world and what is going on in our world. And, and throughout the week, they seem so confused. They, they ask questions. They ask why wicked seem to, the wicked seem to prosper. They asked why the church itself didn't seem to be perfect at times. They asked God, they said, how long? They saw martyrs that were killed and they wondered why God would allow that to happen. They grappled with these things. Like Habakkuk, they, they grappled. And there were two people particularly one 19-year-old girl and one 19-year-old boy who one day on Thursday morning after looking at the world and what is going on and crying out to God, why do you allow these things to happen? Who both turned around around about 10 o'clock on Thursday morning and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus because although the world out there seems that evil is prospering, although I look at the church and I see that it isn't perfect, Actually, I know that the only thing that I can have faith in is the Lord Jesus Christ. That actually, yes, God can use evil because he did that most clearly on the cross. And if he could do that and if Jesus was willing to go to the cross for me, then I can have faith in him. And so on Thursday morning, between between about 10 o'clock and quarter past 10, two people, many of whom you will never meet, were added to our number praise God, another brother and another sister who are now following him. And so if you don't believe and don't trust in him this morning, then we pray that even this morning that you come to know him, that you would join our church family and that you would have faith. And for those of us who are already trusting, keep walking in faith because God is good and he can work through evil and he ultimately works for his glory. See most clearly in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Lord, thank you that we see most clearly in this book that you can work through evil. Thank you that you allow us to ask questions. Lord, in places that this morning has seemed confusing, or if I have used wrong words, would you take that away? Would you leave us only with what you want us to hear? Lord, would you speak through your Holy Spirit? Would even now you be bringing someone to come and know you and putting faith in you and for those of us who already trust in you help us to keep walking in faith in jesus name amen